we have truly worshipped this morning. Thank you so much for that. That is wonderful. The 23rd Psalm is probably the most recognizable statement about God that anyone will ever read. It's heard more often. It's referred to by many, many cultures and groups down through the centuries as a statement of how God relates to His creation. But I want to remind you this, that it was written by a boy, a boy, who was laying out on the hillside staring at the stars, smelling the sheep around him that he didn't even own. And he was equating the image and the idea of what he was doing as the work of God and who we are as the sheep. That's quite an image to cast on the mind of someone and very creative on his part. I remind you that, that David was the little runt of his family, the youngest, the one that nobody really expected a whole lot out of, yet he distinguished himself with a couple of rocks one day, ended the greatest fear that had ever gone through the life of, of the military in Israel on the part of one giant. And he continued to do magnificent things because he trusted God. Not because he was the strongest, the tallest, the best, the most likely to achieve, but because he listened to God and he learned from God. His journey of faith started as that young boy on the hillside. God demonstrates to us the reality that Christianity centers on Jesus Christ and a community called the body of Christ. God's people chosen in Christ are a special group. We're a treasure to God and we're intended to be the redemptive witnesses of God's saving power to the world. We are the statement of who Jesus is. And I think that David realized that God was using him in a mighty way. So when they came looking for someone to be king and they talked to his father, he didn't even mention David. But the prophet knew that there was only one man God had set apart in that family to serve in obedience to him. Our journey of faith in this life will establish much of what eternity will be like for us. As we obey Him, as we submit to Him, as we listen to Him, as we are changed by Him, and as we help others change, we establish who and what we will be in eternity. Read your Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, they make it very plain that we're preparing in this life for what will come in the next. It's not that we will go to heaven with a, an achievement report card with stars on it, recommendations from others, not at all. What we are doing in this life is we are serving Christ and, and we're building up works of holiness for Him. One day they will be tried with fire. And those who survive, those who are focused only on Him, those who are given out of a genuine heart of love, those who are not about self-engrandizement but about Him, they will be made into crowns, and we will lay them 
at the king's feet. No greater honor is ever given to an individual than to bring to a king a gift that is worthy of a king. And that is what we're preparing for, and that's what the 23rd Psalm is all about. Our journey of faith in preparing for that. Psalm 23 reflects on the journey of faith for David. The psalm is is written consistently from the perspective of the sheep. And that's us. The expression of trust and confidence presupposes an awareness of helplessness and a need on the part of the one who trusts. You know, it's amazing that, that creatures will depend on us so many times. I've got a Pomeranian whose legs are about maybe three and a half inches long. She thinks she's a tiger. Um, I call her three and a half pounds of iron and steel and sex appeal. She's the prettiest Pomeranian in all of Dallas County. But, and she can do anything. She can run to the door and attack a UPS driver. She chased the, U, uh, the Postal Service guy away one day, she thought. But the one thing she can't do is get on the sofa. And when she wants to get on the sofa, she has a certain bark. And I know what it is, and I pick her up, and I place her on the sofa. She has another bark when she wants to get on the bed at night. She thinks she has to be there to protect me. As long as something is on the bed and not in the floor, she can protect me from it. She relates to me in a very unique way. I have a cat in the house. The cat tells me when she's hungry. Uh, She winds around my feet trying to trip me and break my neck. And that lets me know she's hungry. She goes to the door and there's a certain noise she makes when she wants to get out. There's a noise she makes when she wants to get in. I tell you all this, and your situation is the same at your home with your pets. God created animals with a way to relate to humans. And David is looking at the sheep and understanding that even sheep have a way of relating to him. He heard them when they were bleeding out because they were in a ditch and trapped and couldn't get out. He heard them when they turned over in the soft grass and they couldn't right themselves. He heard them when they were terrified and gotten away from the fold. And in the same way, God hears us when we cry out to Him, whether it's verbal or emotional or just something that we think. He hears us, and He wants to help us. In a distinctive fashion, the psalmist has has set forth the fundamentals of the covenant relationship. Not in terms of of, of anything that we would, would struggle with, but as a Lord and servant would relate to those who He cares about. The language is the language of a shepherd and a sheep. You say, I don't understand that. You know, First Baptist Church is a a unique church. I I tell people I can top almost any situation in their church. And and I can say this, we in First Baptist Church in Selma, Alabama, have a member that I baptized in this pool not so long ago that was a shepherd in Turkey as a young man, Dr. Sadie Aksut. First profession in life as a young boy was a shepherd. It was so fascinating to talk to him about uh, that time that he served as a shepherd and what he learned about people skills in the role of a doctor and a physician, a cardiologist 
in saving lives. And he learned much there, serving and caring for those sheep. He told me one time that a shepherd develops a relationship with the sheep, whereas they recognize their voice. Now, to you that all sound the same, but to the shepherd who cares about them and understands their relationship with one another, understands those who are hurting and those who need a little extra attention, those who tend to wander away and those who will always stay close. And God understands that about us. And I want to think today for a few minutes about what God does for us and what we can understand about Him through the 23rd Psalm. First, I want you to realize this, that, that this is a psalm of confidence. And that's what it's been called for many, many years. Scholars uh, deemed it that because it gives the Christian confidence as we walk with God, that He is there for us. And he is about us. He is not an absentee landlord that's wound up the clock of eternity and walked away from it. He's not out there establishing other worlds. I remind you on the seventh day when it said he rested, it also says he ceased creating. He created what he wanted to create and he cares about his creation. He didn't walk away from us. He is out there. Many people say, why doesn't God step in and interfere with, with the problems of life and rescue us? Apparently, they watched Superman too many times growing up. Superman did that, but I remind you, there was no Superman. It was the creation of somebody's imagination. God, in loving mercy and having a goal for us that's greater than this world does not rescue us from the problems and situations that many times we get ourselves into. God uses those situations to conform us to the image of His Son. They are His sandpaper. They are His tool to craft in us a maturity that will last forever, that will define who and what we are, that will make us skilled enough to change the world around us. The next time you cry out for somebody to come and change Selma, remember this, you are the change agent. God sent you here. You. Now the church is a building, it's an organization, but it's made up of the body of Christ. I was explaining to some folks the other day that the reason... The image given for the church is the body of Christ. It's not a machine. Uh, it's not a farm or a, a tree. It's the body of Christ, a human body, because every part of the body is necessary. Every part. We need that. Something as insignificant as your inner ear that you've never thought about and never considered. Let your inner ear stop functioning, and guess what? At my age, you're in trouble. You can't get anywhere. Little things are important in the body of Christ, and, and we need to understand that each and every one of us matter. Can you serve Christ and do ministry in the midst of a pandemic? Yes, you can. Can you minister to others? Yes, you can. You need to be creative with it. You need to be safe with it. 
But don't cease serving Christ because of what is going on. In fact, it's usually in the middle of a crisis that people discover their greatest spiritual gifts. And God will develop them in your life. The first thing I want to denote here is that God understands what we both need and want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He meets our, our basic needs in life, but he also gives us what we want. And, and I've had people argue with me about that and say, no, that's not the way God works. Well, you haven't read the 37th Psalm. Just go over a few more from that and read what it says in the fourth verse. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. God works that way. He loves us. We're his children, and nothing makes him happier, number one, than for us to obey him, but then number two, for him to bless us. Much of what you have in this life is not about your needs, but your wants. And God understands that. He is not a begrudging, bitter God. He, he wants to shower us with blessings. But we've got to understand that the only way we can hear and understand what He has for us to do is to stay close to Him. The Lord is God, the, the covenant-making God of Israel, and He wants us to be special because we have His Holy Spirit within us. I remind you that God loves to see us happy. And He gives us blessings at times that we never imagined we would get. He's the God that answers before we ask because He knows what we're desiring and what we need. He knows what turns our heart and brings us closer to Him. And He uses that ever so effectively. You know, when David was anointed king, God spoke to Samuel and said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in a mighty way. And in the same way, as you submit to his will, he will come upon your spirit and guide you. If God is not your personal shepherd today, then all the guidance, provision, and protection mentioned in this psalm are not promised to you. The Spirit of God is calling you. If you don't have a relationship with Him, He's calling you to Him. For He knows how dangerous it is to live in this world without the Spirit of God. John 10, beginning with verse 11, says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. When he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for these sheep, 
That's the relationship that we have with God. Don't be led away by someone who says they are the Christ. Don't be flattered by someone that comes up with wonderful ideas, but their life won't back it up. It's sad to deal with the loss of someone, but especially someone who is lost in life and have lost their way. And that happens on a regular basis. But I know this. When you give your heart to Jesus, wherever you walk, He goes with you. And the reality is this. It's not us holding on to Him. It's God holding on to us. The sadness I have when a, when a life is, ends and, and they've not been able to really go out and, 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 and serve and minister and distinguish themselves when their life has just gone in a circle and it's been built around themselves and no one else. I'm sad because I know that one day they will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and they'll have nothing to lay at His feet. Nothing. When I was growing up, my, my mother was an odd bird. She, some of you know, I'll, you know, if, if, if you throw a rock at me, I'll send you a thank you note for throwing the rock. Because that's the way my mother raised me. You just, you're, you're polite. You do that. I can remember going to birthday parties when my twin brother and I would go. And she'd buy two gifts so it would not be confused that one of us forgot to bring a gift. Because she said, you never go to a party that you're invited to without a gift. And if you have a knowledge of a gift they'd like, get that. And being a good southern gal, she always put the receipt in there in case they wanted to return it, Right? Well, here's what's amazing about that. Do you want to go to the greatest celebration in eternity in heaven one day and not have a gift to give to King Jesus that died for you? Can you imagine anything any more embarrassing than that? Well, if you agree with me about that, then your heart needs to be set on serving Him and being obedient to Him in every way. So that one day when, when the doors of this world close and the light of heaven opens up, when you experience real life, because remember, we're looking through a glass dimly right now. Real life we've not experienced. Only, only will we find that in heaven, nowhere else. This life is held down with, with sadness and sin and, and, and situations that pull us away from God. But one day we'll be with him. We need to prepare for that day. We need to be ready for that day. We need to be working even now for that day. Jesus describes Jews and Gentiles united in one messianic community as a part of the influence on his life there and what he had given his life for. And he said, I love them. You know, it, it's sad that one verse that always brings tears to my eyes is, He came into His own, and His own received Him not. One of the worst rejections you'll ever have is being rejected by your own. Your own family, your own community, your own circle of friends, your own co-workers, your own neighbors. Whatever that group is, when you're rejected by them, 
It has a profound influence on your life. Jesus was rejected by the very people he came to save, the Jewish people. Remember, he was a messianic savior that came for them. His intent was, and Charlie, we've said this 10,000 times, haven't we, on Wednesday nights. He came to bring Israel to him and they would become a kingdom of priests. Then they would go out to the world, to the whole world, and share the gospel. Because they rejected him, he didn't reject us, but he reached out to us. I am so thankful that God spoke to two great men in the New Testament. One, an eloquent, gifted man of the law, and the other, a lot like us, he was a crude fisherman. And both of them were given a desire to come to the Gentiles. I'm speaking of the Apostle Paul as the first and the latter is Simon Peter. And both of them reached out to the Gentile world. Otherwise, the gospel would have never left Palestine. God loved us and had a plan for us, and, and, and we matter to him. But remember, secondly, God is protecting us from all dangers. All dangers. He said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. What a great statement. God is for us. Our fear may be present, but it's overshadowed by the power of God to overcome that. He is with us. He doesn't promise us help. He doesn't give us a, a document like you can buy on your car that says, Oh, we'll repair anything broken on your car. And then you look at the 16 pages of fine print and you find out your thing is not covered. God doesn't do that. When he says, I will bring you safely into heaven, he means it. And he does it. He, said, he does not say, I'll make your road easy, but he'll say, he says, I'll walk with you whatever road you go down. My presence will go with you. I will give you rest from your labors. The God who saves us from our past sins does not leave us to face the troubles of life ahead on our own. That's the encouragement we have. He says, my rod and my staff will comfort you. I remind you the shepherd's rod was used not only for protection from evil influences around the sheep, but it also had a crook at the top of it, and that was for reaching out and capturing the sheep when they had fallen into a disaster and bringing them back to safety. God is able to reach you wherever you are. And our own wandering foolishness does not become more powerful than God. God's constant vigilance over his own is so significant. Our comfort is because his personal presence and involvement is with the sheep. And the difference you make as a parent or grandparent as you follow Christ and you follow Christ before your children changes them. God expects that. The example you give is so powerful. It brings either blessings as you're faithful or curses as you walk away from him. Let me give you an example. 
Years ago, someone began a study in a university of the life of a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s. He's one of the most respected preachers in his day. He attended Yale at the age of 13. And he later went on to become the president of Princeton College. He married his wife Sarah in 1727. They were blessed with 11 children. I don't know if 11 children would be a blessing or a curse, to be honest with you, but they, they considered it a blessing. And those children were amazing. He would spend an hour every night with those children together praying with them and praising them and encouraging them and watching over them and just letting them be a part of his life. One day after he passed away, a great American educator, A.E. Winship, decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. He wanted to see if the influence of Jonathan Edwards and his wife's discipline with their children made a difference. Here's what they discovered. Here's his legacy. In the lineage of Jonathan Edwards is one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. That's in 150 years. Think about that. Think about the discipline that he had in his life. But Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, I am but a lowly under-shepherd, keenly aware that the good shepherd is the only role model for me, both in my house where I live, in the house of God where I serve. I think he figured something out, don't you? I think that he understood the importance of what he was doing. The next time you recite the 23rd Psalm, do so with a deeper sense of its personal voice to you. Because it's not written to encourage sheep. It's written to encourage us. Let us pray. Father, bless us today and give us an understanding of your will and your way in our lives. For truly, we need to hear your voice. Many voices cry out and much confusion is about, but only your voice can change us. So we call on you to do that even now. And Father, speak to the one who is seeking you in this moment. In their life with confusion, they know that you're the only resolution that can change them. Let them hear that voice even now. And I pray that we would listen keenly even as we sing the first notes of this invitation. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.